you actually have to talk about relationships and love and marriage. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization and discipleship. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined today by Dave Applewatch Van Vickle. How are you doing, Dave? <laughs> Good. You just is that what you're just like at that point? Yeah, it's like lamp. I love lamp. <laughs> I see a lamp. I see the fact that you looked at your watch as I was introducing you. Oh, that was I don't know why you had to point that out. My unprofessionalism. Well, no, I mean, I think like you're really bored right now. So I am not really <laughs> bored right now. So we have been going through this series. Now we're on talk number four. This is the last of the four major foundational episodes. And our goal with this is to look through the lens of the theology of the body in order to evangelize our culture today, whether this is you who are listening or a message that someone that you're trying to disciple needs to hear. We want to be able to communicate this stuff in a positive and beautiful way, which is what JP2 does. So St. Pope John Paul II gave us the Theology of the Body, a series of Wednesday audiences in order to communicate the beauty of human love in the divine plan. The ultimate end game was to defend the church's teaching on contraception, but also to situate that teaching within the wider sphere of Christ's words, the gospel, human heart, what we're made for, and also the sacrament of marriage, continence for the kingdom, virginity, all of the stuff that makes the Catholic Church Catholic, JP2 wants to situate the positive meaning, the law of life, he says, about contraception and whatnot, after especially the disastrous reception of Humana Vitae. One of the questions I am asked the most when I was doing parish ministry is, how do we communicate the theology of the body to children? How do we teach as parents the respect, dignity, and the constraint of human sexuality, and especially, you know, having sex and all that stuff within the confines of marriage without also doing the things that maybe our parents or grandparents or great grandparents did, which was tend to make sex something dirty, disgusting, behind closed doors, sealed up, repressed, right? Christopher West, that's his big thing. You, you can't have a Christian culture is not a repressed culture, right? but it's also not an expressive, you know, pornographic culture. So where do we, where does the truth oscillate between these areas? And, you know, really it's one of those things where you say it's not between two errors, but above them. So Dave, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that John Paul II is, is the answer to this, right? Yeah. The theology of the body presents, I mean, if, if you read it, honestly, it is the greatest news about sex you could ever imagine, right? And yep. and it's such an awesome, amazing story, right? So I think the key is like to win the hearts of young people is not to be necessarily the church of no, but to be the church of what's the end here? What yep. is the end here? And and the end that he presents is so awesome, so amazing, so incredible that if we can communicate that, the beauty of what a sexual relationship can be that you kind of win, right? That's a, that's a big win for us. Okay. And, and putting that as the context in which you answer the no questions is kind of, I think the secret, of course, you know, when I, when I used to work in a parish, I used to, every once in a while, they, the teachers would ask me to do like the, you know, the theology of the body talk for like the seventh and eighth grade. Yeah, the chastity talk. Yeah. 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 I would walk in and I I would never have met the kids Yeah, and I would not have a smile on my face and I would be like, dead serious i'd be like listen this is really serious and if i even see a smirk on your face laughing about this topic i'm gonna kick you out of this classroom like and they would be like oh my gosh you know this is like 
And I would walk up and I stole, stole this from Brian Kissinger, our friend. I, I'd write, today we're talking about S-E-K-S. And I'd write it on the board. <laughs> and they would start laughing. I'd be like, stop laughing at me right now. <laughs> so they would like kind of like, you, you know, would mess with them. I yeah, love totally. It. Yeah. So they would just be like terrified, you know, at first. But then I'd be like, I'm just kidding. Like, you know, <laughs> we're going to talk about this in an adult way. And, and I think like there are two things that I see lacking. In, in the way we teach kids. The first is metaphysics. We do not teach any metaphysics whatsoever. Yeah. Like, I mean, even at Catholic schools, like you, right. you ask a seventh grader what they are, it's biological, mm-hmm. right? It is biological. Yeah, because the sciences have destroyed the humanities. So at the, at the very, you know, we're just as STEM focused as everyone else. And the problem is when you don't have an appreciation of things like metaphysics and philosophy and all this, even not like teaching them Aristotle metaphysics, but no, like no. understanding a metaphysical that there's something approach. you can't see that's real. Yeah. Right. Just yeah. even that, yeah. even that is the second thing I would say is that when we do teach a quote, Christian ethic of sexuality, it is like you said, repression a hundred percent. So yeah. you'll, so it's fear-based, yeah. fear-based. And, and you'll even see like in the, in the most extreme people re- will reject like classical literature, mm. right? Like the odyssey, right? Ugh. Because yeah. they'll be like, what are you talking about? What about what about when he's with Calypso? We can't have our kids read that, right? And it's yeah. like, no, there's a judgment in there on Odysseus, yeah. right? Like we have and, to. And the bigger judge, I use that example all the time in the Odyssey, how he's with Circe for a yeah. year or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, but the funny thing is about Odysseus is he longs to be home. He longs to be with his wife and right. his son. But the funny thing was, so I, I use that as a perfect contrasting point for how Christ changed the culture. The reason why today you feel, it's not like they're just, it's not like pornographic descriptions. No, no. But it does talk about like adultery for men, like it's no big deal. And that's why the Catholic sexual ethic is so important because it literally rewrote history. Virtue. Right. Yeah, it rewrote our under. Yeah, it didn't rewrite history. It rewrote our understanding of, of virtue and what does it mean? And right. we talked about this in the first episode. So, yeah, I think that you're right on point. Yeah. And I think giving them the con- it's the same thing with a lot of stuff in Catholicism, right? Like what I found in parish ministry is look, God's love is the context in which to answer all of these hot button issues. Yeah. Human love that we affirm. That we, that we, I mean, I mean, Pope John Paul goes f- deep into sexuality to the point where he, you know, talks about how a, a man and woman should climax at the same time, right? Like, that's not yeah. theoretical, right? <laughs> it's a very practical thing. Like, this is not something that we're, like, shy about right. and not something that we think is, you know, bad. In fact, you, you could say, you can make a solid argument that avoiding these topics is more Protestant, more, much more, much more, because in fact, it's a part of our Catholic experience here in America that a group of Protestant anti-Catholics stole the Bishop of Philadelphia's confessional book, right? Because the priests used to have confession manuals for penances and stuff. And when they got to the sixth commandment, they ended up publishing in the newspaper of the depravity of Roman Catholics because they would dare even discuss these things. (laughs) And it was like all of these details on sexual sins, you know, when something mortal versus venial and like all this stuff. And it it was today what we call casuistry, but casuistry was born from confession manuals. And so this whole understanding, and it was a shocked them. Right. I think John Grabowski, he's a he's a professor at Catholic University. Awesome dude. I got a bunch of his books now, but he wrote the forward to the original theology of the body. Okay. He is he's such a wonder. He him and his wife wrote a beautiful marriage book that you can use in marriage prep. 
But he talked about, I think it was everybody, he talked about the scandal that it was in the New England like area. And we're talking like the 1790s, right? right, right. Of, and it was like, no, Catholics were known as being able to talk about this because we had a sacramental worldview. Right. But the puritanical side of our culture, of especially New England culture, it's not that they were just terrified of sex. It's that that was so private. Right. It did not touch upon your relationship with God unless it was a sin. And they don't really want to talk about the sin. <laughs> so it was and like, that, yeah, that leaked into Catholicism where I remember talking to people who like, you know, they, they would say like, well, a man and wife wouldn't be together. And then on Saturday nights or no, no, on, on Friday night, they would, then they'd go to confession the next day, then they could receive communion on Sunday. Ugh. And it was like this, this idea that it was bad or something yeah. like that. It's, it's terrible. And, you know, I, I remember when I was still like, you know, working a lot with youth and stuff like that. I remember one of the questions that came up often and you don't have to tell me if this rings true for your work with youth, but is girls in particular, they would ask like, are you in love with your wife? Like, are you in love? Mm. And I'd be like, yeah. And it was very interesting because it was a question where I could tell they were asking it and hoping I would say yes because they don't see it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so I think like even more than all of what we're just saying, the most important thing is great marriages are what, are going to teach this more than anything. Yeah. yeah it's like, uh, what's the best kind of liturgical catechesis? Good liturgy done well. Okay. What's the best kind of marital catechesis? Good marriages Good marriage lived well. well. Yeah. And I, I can remember, I have, I have friends who are very loving as a husband and wife with each other. What does that mean? What do you uh, mean? Yeah. I mean like to all the points where they defer to one another, where they want to go out to eat or what they want to do or, Oh no, this is my husband's favorite thing. So I'm going to do it with him. Not because I want to do it. Cause I love okay. him, love okay. him, love him, you know? Okay. Like, so like to the point where it's like sappy and over the top, but you never question if they love each other Yeah, and they both in their own ways, he's not like, you know, funny about it, but in their own ways, they express the primacy of their love for their spouse. And I would say the exact same thing with Shannon. One of the things that I've been saying lately when I do talks about love and relationships, not, not just chastity talks. I think that's one problem. We got to get away from just chastity yeah, talks yeah, to just... relationship talks. But um, I, I say I'm one of the, the lucky people who I'm best friends with my wife. Like, I really like hanging out with my wife. I like yeah. socializing. But one of the reasons why I've, I've come to discover this, this is my marriage advice that no one asked for. I go out of my way to carve out time for Shannon to be with just the girls, you know, just her friends, oh, right? Okay. Yeah. Because I see her as a woman, a wife, and a mother, not just as my wife or the mother to my kids. Okay. And I think sometimes couples, they end up, because the kids take up so much of your time, they end up just seeing one another as father and mother, not seeing one another as husband and wife, and also not seeing each other as man and woman. So I look at those as like three steps. So yeah, sure. you need to have your family time. You need to go visit you know, the in-laws. You need to go be with your mom and dad. That's cool. I also need to do that from time to time, you know, like all that stuff. But she also needs her own time. This is where I, I call it the original solitude in our hearts. Yeah. Like we also need to be alone with God. We need to be alone with friends that take us out of that content, even though because when I get her back from, you know, a night where they, they do game nights where they play these competitive games, there's a bunch of women who are like the most competitive people I've ever met in my life. They play these board games and stuff, and it's so funny. <laughs> she comes back, she's like ticked off that she lost, but she had a great time. And then she carves out that time for me and my guy friends, whether it's going to get some beers and whatever, like I did on Sunday night, one of my discipleship guys, or, you know, whatever it is, right? Like, she knows I need that. I know she needs that. We also need alone time with the Lord, so... I wake up earlier than her. I make coffee. 
I start my biblical study, which is or my morning prayer with with the gospels before she wakes up, then she can come down and do her prayers. Like we, that that's the thing is like being away from each other helps us to be near oh, each other. I think that's a hundred percent true. And people don't do that. And that has to do with that whole self-possession. If you possess yourself, then yeah. you can give yourself more full. And the notion, and I think this is what self-care in our culture that's so hard ah, on. I hate right? that phrase right? so much. But the self-care, I think it's like gesturing to, but misses the mark because it gestures to, there's some core of you, this is like the original solitude that needs to be fostered. But, what we do is we say there's some core of you that everyone else is taking away yeah, from right. and they're your rival and they're, right. they're diminishing you. But so how do we get it back? Luxury and indulgence. Right. And right. it's like, no, no, that's not, I was talking with my wife and you know, one time you, know, you, you can think of it as like, I just want to go get my nails done, go to, yeah. okay, that's a thing for you, honey. <laughs> that's what I don't understand. But, right. and that, that might be important in, in plenty of ways, but it's not leisure yeah. that refreshes us. Right. And, you know, she'll do this thing where she'll just zone out and doom scroll into Instagram. Yeah. And I'm like, how do you feel now? Yeah. And she's like, well, I feel crappy. And it's like, right, because it wasn't it wasn't leisure. It was just indulgence. And indulgence doesn't make us feel happy. It makes us feel worn. Like, so it's like the kids are bugging me. I'm going to zone out. And you're zoning out actually. Does. So now what she does is she goes for a walk in 105 degree weather around the block. And she comes back covered in sweat and ready to crush the day. Yeah. You know, so these are these are things that I don't think we acknowledge. So It's also like the things people it's controversial right yeah. but th th this is the church teaching you got to love your spouse first before your children and right. it's the exact opposite practically that gets flipped. Oh, most oh yeah, yeah. No so question. you need to force it intentionally so me and my wife that's the thing is i want my kids to see that my wife comes first because when i say when i come home and they do something wrong and i say what do you do to my wife no. <laughs> the right. fear of god is in them the uh the the thing that it gets dicey in yeah i, I like I love what you're saying. Yeah. When it's like an intentional gift, right? What it what it gets weird though, right? When it becomes a agreement or like a contract, mm -hmm. right? Oh, that's when Have it's you broken. This when that's it's when weird? it's totally broken. Like, well, you got this much with your friends, so now I'm gonna I should get this much with my friends. Yeah. Have you that's noticed? Awful. Yeah. No. You've been around couples like that, right? Yeah. yeah. So me and my wife. This is the beautiful thing with me and my wife. And um, again, this is our way, not the way. <laughs> so don't think I'm absolutizing your marriage and your advice. What I am absolutizing is. You need to treat your spouse as if you love them. And even if you don't, you will come to love them. Right. This is one of relationships right. are hundred percent fake it till you make it kind of thing. If you yeah, are even St. Therese of used to say that. Yeah. If you don't love God, tell him you love him even more. Right. Yeah. So what happens is if you don't date your wife, you will only view your wife as a mother, right? If you don't date her, you will stop trying to woo her. You will you yourself will stop trying to be wooable. Right. And men don't want to admit that sometimes we're not wooable when we come home. Right. So, all, I mean, but all of these things, men and women doing this for each other ends up keeping the marriage beautiful. And um, it, that, that can be abused and that can be misused and that can be mistreated. But see, again, you're you're subjecting yourself out to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay. So let's, let's talk about kids again. Oh, they're so boring. So the reason why I brought that up again is kids need to see a, the good example of a good marriage. Yeah. That's okay. the first place of catechesis. Yeah. So another thing I think, yeah. And, and you kind of, you know, this whole thing about chastity, right? Yep. 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 Chastity is a, let's say a lofty, a lofty goal yeah. in our culture. Mm -hmm. So, so, okay. Right. I mean, in the sense that like, I don't know that kids realize they're they're kind of like boiled frogs. I don't know that they right. realize they're growing up like in a pornographic culture, yeah. but they are. What I would say is they have to have some sort of discipline in their life 
in order to be able to be chased when it matters, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I think a very important part is teaching a little bit of discipline, mm-hmm. right? So that when you say to them, look, now you need to restrain your passions, they know that that's a possibility. Yeah. Number two, I think we're getting it wrong big time in teaching like the complementarity of the sexes way too late. Oh, okay. Right? Like I teach my boy, like for instance, like Judah is, he's 10 and Josie's eight, right? So they're the natural play together yeah. in the family. And I like, I constantly am harping on Judah, like stop wrestling with your sister. Mm. Like you have got to stop like manhandling her. Number one, because you need to realize your job is to protect women, right? Number two, which I know people won't. <laughs> Some people are going to get so angry. No, yeah, that, right. yeah. And number two, I don't want her to think that it's okay for a man to like manhandle her, right? Yeah. Like to teach some of those roles. Now, for those people who are angry at me, I teach Josie how to fight like crazy, right? Because I want my daughter to learn how to defend herself. And I want, yeah. and the way I teach her is you have this beautiful gift that you have to protect. Yeah. Right? With our kids, like the problem with chastity talks today that we give to young people is they're often taught by parents who are rooted in fear. And we're afraid of bad consequences, you know. So what you and I were just talking about. I yeah. was saying how I, I feel like I'm failing because I am parenting my kids based on mistakes I made. Yeah, yeah. And parents do that all the time. So just acknowledge like, okay, you can give yourself a little bit of grace there because that's what every parent does. Right. We want our kids to be versions of us that are better with normal flaws or mistakes. And the reality is you don't grow up without making plenty of mistakes. So we're all rookies at this thing called life, right? Especially at every stage, you know, puberty and all that stuff. So number one, I think having positive people in their lives where their marriages are good and they can see. So, so, okay. We have family potlucks okay. because we want, I want my I kids. You do this. Yeah, yes. Cause I want my kids to see other moms and dads who love each other because the fascinating thing happens. The kids all go off and play with each other, right? Boys and girls, especially if they're younger, right? They all do the same games. The older kids will linger at the outskirts. If they're a boy or a girl, they'll linger at the outskirts of mom and dad's conversation. So often the men will kind of gravitate towards yeah. each other. The women sometimes will come together as couples and we'll talk about stuff. And the older kids are always watching. And I love that because I know with the people that I'm bringing into my home, the types of conversations that we have, even if they're about like more adult stuff, they're learning, they're absorbing because kids learn through imitation. It's called mimetic learning. They learn through imitation and they will imitate. Uh, what I want them to do is to imitate people who aren't me so that my hangups, my fears, my yeah. whatever doesn't. Because when that then gets translated into a chastity talk that I'm giving to a high school youth group or I'm giving to young adults or I'm giving to a middle schooler, theology of the body, you know, different, you, you give a talk differently to different age groups. You don't yeah. want to corrupt anyone. But the problem is it becomes so fear-based And, you know, if you think of most youth groups are unpaid youth ministers or volunteers, their parents, they don't want their kids making the same mistakes. So they lead from that fear. I don't want you to have a venereal disease. I don't want you to get pregnant. I don't want you to be used. Right. So there's these, these fears that are natural. And so the idea is to paint a bigger picture of the point of human sexuality in a positive way so that when you have to say no that no is situated within a greater yes. Because you you can scare people away from making a mistake. You absolutely can. And I've seen, and and I had a doctor. Sure, sure. Like the silver ring thing is kind of a- Silver ring. The silver ring thing. It's like a chastity program that you put on, like at a A certain age, you put it, yeah, a promise ring. And and 
And I remember people would say like, well, they only have a 5% effectiveness rate. And it's like, well, that's pretty high. I mean, yeah. in all honesty, I mean, compared to culture, right? Yeah. yeah which has a hundred percent failure, right? right. Uh, so you look at these things and you start to say, okay, so when I'm giving a chassis talk, when I'm actually communicating the message, what am I communicating? And often what we communicate is don't do this, this, or this because these bad consequences can happen. Right. And it is really hard to think about consequences when you're in the basement, when no parents are home, when you're with the girl that you're smitten with and the, the movie just ended, now it's totally dark, right? It's really hard to summarize yourself the top three reasons why consequences are going to rear their ugly, you know, whatever, and, and ruin everything. Yeah. You don't think about consequences, right? And you're carried by your inertia in that right, moment. Right. So that's why the, the bigger picture is so important to teach people to not get into those situations in right. the first place, right. right? For parents, obviously, to not let your kids get it. But then you're teaching like, hey, you know, having sex before marriage is wrong and, and doing this and that before marriage is wrong. But you know what? You should not just not find yourself in a dark room with no parental supervision around. You should, you, the only way you can combat that is if you, because really we go into dark rooms with no parents around because we want something to Watch happen, it, yeah, right? Right. But the, the idea is like, no, then what does a healthy thing look like at this stage of our I dating think that's relationship? really important. Right, and so I met these people. I mean, these teenagers, they were like, no, I don't want to end up in that situation. So we're going to do fun yep. things. Group dating yeah, or, or stuff like or that. Yeah, or hiking. So good. Right, like so good. with groups, of, and, and, and not just with groups of people, but like if they are alone, they're not, they're, they're in a public place. Right. Not because they're scared of what they're going to do, but because they know like, yeah, no, I could, I would definitely end up doing that. So what I'm going to do is do something wonderful and positive with my I, life. Yeah. I think teaching a kid to be friends yes. is such an important thing, how to be a, you know, a friend to someone. I, and I, and again, going back to this, what Gomer said, I think the most powerful way to teach them is to show them what yep. a friendship is like. I, when Amber was really sick, you know, obviously like, you know, sexual intimacy wasn't like part of our relationship. And sometimes I would wash her feet. That was like something I would do. Like yeah. when she was really, really sick, you know? And one night I left the door open by accident. And one of my kids saw it, you know, it was like a marked difference in the way they were like treating her after mm. that, you know? Like, there's just no way I, I, and, and I had told them like, guys, mom's really sick. You got to help. You got to do this. It, it didn't mean anything. Right. Yeah. But to see that it was like, for whatever reason, yeah. it like really affected them, you know? And I just think like, there's a lot of parents out there who make the mistake of like teaching with their mouths all the time yeah. and becoming that sounding board, but not teaching with their Yeah. Life. And I think of my, when I walked into my dad kneeling at the age of 65 right. beside his bed, you're just like, this man takes his prayer life so seriously. So he humbles himself like a child on his bed, you know, at his yeah. bedside. Yeah. So in terms of the content of actually communicating sexuality and stuff to your children, this is probably, you know, if this were ever end up on YouTube, this would get red flagged or something like that. But, you know, the experts will say, would it? Yeah, well, what I'm going to say right oh, now, okay. the experts tell you like when you're, when you talk to your kids about like when they're little and they're growing up, don't use like nicknames for your genitalia, right? They're like, no, use the proper terms so they know it, oh, that okay. you know, all this stuff. Well, <laughs> we, we used to do that because we were told by every, you know, child development person you're supposed to do that. But then the whole like transgenderism started. And so we began saying boy parts and girl parts. Yeah. Because I want to emphasize right, radically sure. that this is the nature of them. Sure. And it is, it is funny because as the kids get older, 
I have two girls, two boys. The two girls are close in age. Two boys are close in age. You see that there's tons of stuff that they play that overlaps and tons of stuff that does not. And once my son Noah hit like seven years old, everything was not just about sports. It was about competitive sports. And my son Thomas, everything on the face of the earth, every stick, every twig became a gun. And for my girls, like my daughter Katiri, she loves loves like roughhousing. She loves that stuff. She loves the idea of beating people up. So I taught her a little bit how to box. Yeah, probably, probably. She's so violent. But like the gravitation, she's also the girliest girl. Right. She's the hair and the makeup sure. and the fun yeah. things and the silly things and the Barbie dolls and the, you know, she was Barbie doll and all that. So now she's theater, right? It's singing and dancing and yeah. memorizing lines and doing William Shakespeare and all this stuff. And it's just funny to see how Kateri and Cecilia, very different, but as girls, the, their maturation goes in one direction from the, and even when they like boy stuff and even when they're doing it's quote unquote right. tomboyish stuff, it is different. For them, and they will acknowledge, and that's, see, this is the freedom. And I'm so thankful that they're growing up, even though they're growing up in this time, they're growing up because we homeschool, we do classical education, they're reading classical literature and all this stuff, is they don't wonder what their gender is. Right. They just want to be able to express whatever yeah. in their own girly or boy way. And that's why, that's why I think this stuff is so fascinating. So on top of this, chastity, Having the sex talk and all this stuff. I know so many parents are worried about that. You're worried about it because you're putting too much stress on one conversation. Yeah. It should not be the sex talk. It should be the beginning of the sexual conversation. Again, it should be rooted in relationships, not just in physicality, not just the birds and the bees and the plumbing and all that stuff. You actually have to talk about relationships and love and marriage me and my kids and my wife we're invited to tons of weddings we go to weddings as a family even if we can't go to the reception we'll go to a wedding and enjoy the wedding and we'll talk about the beauty when we talk about our weddings because we want it situated within the context of relationship and then finally when you get into the specific chastity stuff you have to remember that chastity is a virtue So the problem with purity culture in the Protestant world, especially in the 90s and early 2000s, was they made purity seem like this thing that I already have that I can lose. Right. But for Catholics, it's the virtue of chastity. Purity is the highest form of chastity. And so what we say in this is, no, you start out at the bottom of a mountain. Acquiring the virtue is the walking up this mountain. Right, right. The attaining of the virtue where your sexual desires are successfully integrated into your personality, as the catechism says, that's the peak, right? So the problem is, I was like, I mean, you're, what, you're, you're a 10-year-old who just starts noticing girls. Then you hit puberty, and all of a sudden, all you notice is girls. Right. And it's like, what do I do with all this? You're having to deal with all these changes in your body and this hormones that don't stop until you're like 25, 30 years old. Like for a lot of people, it, 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 it can go later and earlier, you know, whatever. People are different. But you have to deal with this rush of hormones that can overwhelm you. And it's like, okay, okay, okay. At each stage, the battle of self-possession takes on a different form. It might be more intense. It might be less intense. It might, I mean, like it, it was uh, an elderly man in one of Plato's dialogues where he said, I'm so grateful that that part of my life is finally gone so that I can be free to think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I think the, the biggest thing we're trying to get across to you is like, this is good news, right? It's, it's, it's the good news of 
of Christian sexuality, and it's it should be approached that way yeah. as like something so fantastic, a gift that God gave us. Yeah, yeah, and and of course we're all worried. It's 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 natural to worry about what your kid is going to do, and it's natural to watch them. But think you have to remember this is what God does every day, right? He watches us make our own decisions and tries to teach us the best that that we can learn. You know? Yeah, I also want to talk about respect for age and development. You never. If, if your kids are exposed to pornography, you can talk about pornography. But if they're not, if they don't understand what pornography is, right. then you even, you, you going through stuff, uh, talking about sexual matters too early, you'll rob their innocence. Right. Right. So I think our job as parents, insofar as it is possible, to not rob them of their innocence, to protect their innocence. That doesn't mean keep them naive, though. No. So, for instance, if you have Wi Fi in your house and you have devices that connect to Wi Fi, you need to train up your children on the right and wrong ways to use the iPad or to use the laptop or whatever. So in my house, if a kid turns on an, a laptop, I don't know if you know this, but like boys think the word butt is like the funniest thing on the face of the earth. And so my son very innocently will say, I'll look up a song about butts on Apple Music. And then it's the album artwork. Oh, see. Right? Right, so it was like, oh, I'm gonna type in some funny butt thing on YouTube, and it's the thumbnails of the videos, and all of a sudden you can be exposing your kids to softcore pornography through this stuff, sure, yeah. and it just it kills me. So you need to be smart with this stuff. So introduce them, right? So good pictures, bad pictures is a wonderful book that a lot of people recommend. There's some theology of the body books for children that are starting to come out that are excellent to talk about this. The old American Girl doll. Had a had a book on girls and and going through puberty okay. that was awesome. And now not so much anymore. It's been tainted by the ideology, but you can still get the original book. I think so on on Amazon. There's a lot of beautiful conversations that you can have about it. Now in my home, I because I I think like part of male culture that I don't like of like older older male culture when men were men was how they're afraid and embarrassed or like disgusted to talk about like women's issues and periods and stuff like that. Like, I'm not going to have an in-depth conversation with my daughter about that, but I'm fine talking about these things yeah. because I need them to understand that this is an important part about their lives and all this stuff. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I, I think for our goal, like for me, I don't want to damage their imagination. Like that's the big Ever. thing. Yeah. yeah. I don't, don't want to damage their imagination. And so we're, we, we restrict things and then, when we know we can't restrict it anymore, like for instance, like like my kids had no idea what anything was like to do with like transgenderism or homosexuality or something like that. And then when it was like, you couldn't even go to the store without wondering. Yeah. No kidding. Then I, I went ahead and like, okay, well we're going to have this conversation. And uh, like one of the big things is like, I, I also overexpose them to truth, beauty, and goodness, right? I want them to be able to see that there's something wrong with like a pornographic culture. And the only way to do that is to to distinguish, right? Like you have to you have to understand what is better, right? So always, yeah. always. All right, we're gonna come right back to the show after these brief messages from Ascension Press. Reminder: We want you to hop on our email list. So text EKSB to three three seven seven seven. You'll get added to our email list. We we give you a robust show notes and all that stuff. You want to be a part of it, and we will not. Spam you. All right, we'll be right back with today's takeaway. Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. 
I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jansik. And we're the hosts of Catholic Classics. Join us for season two of the podcast, where we will read and explain the Confessions by St. Augustine. So the Confessions, it's a classic, we all know that, but why read it? In this book, St. Augustine testifies to God's power, God's ability to draw him from a life of sin and error into a life of holiness and of genuine service of God's people. And not only are the confessions a testimony to St. Augustine's life, but also a testimony to the way by which God works in each of our lives, bringing us from our sin to a life of holiness, drawing us ever more and more into God's very own life. To follow along, you can find the reading plan at ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics. Welcome back to Every Knee Shall Bow as we continue our conversation on the theology of the body. We're talking about teaching our children about this beautiful gospel message, the message of Christian sexuality, and how hard it can be and how important it is. Absolutely. Yeah, and so again, number one, Fall in love with your spouse all over again. I don't know where you are in your marriages and all this stuff. If you're still married, great. Fall in love. Do the hard work of that reciprocity of love. Because, number two, the the best form of marital catechesis and relationship catechesis that you can give is a marriage lived well. Your kids need to see that you are a priority in each other's life, even more so than your children are a priority. And that's crazy sounding because kids just take up a lot of time and money, but they need to see that mom and dad want to be with each other. From that, number three, we can often understand that our catechesis on chastity is motivated from fear and you don't want to do that. So scale it back, pull back away from the fear and look for the bigger yes that individual knows might be a part of. But the understanding of it, especially with theology of the body, is this bigger, broader view of human love in the divine plan. We are recultivating the Garden of Eden. This is where are the original plan and purposes of what Christ was saying to those Pharisees in Matthew 19. But from the beginning, it was not so to realize that you are co-creators with your bride, with your husband, right? You want to make that so powerful and potent in your kids' lives. Also, chastity is not something that I already have and can lose, like Protestant purity culture taught in the 90s and early 2000s. But rather, chastity is a virtue that I need to acquire by specific, repeated, and deliberate effort. It's like any other virtue. You can't acquire the virtue of patience without being patient in impatient times, right? So the same is true about chastity. Our goal is to be able to have that self-discipline, to have that self-control, that if a situation comes up, we know how to say no and to walk away. And then finally, I would just say, always, always, always catechize your kids in the church of sexual teaching in an age-appropriate manner. Safeguard and protect their innocence. That's what matters most. So as you're giving your kids knowledge, you're not giving your kids an unhealthy curiosity. So thank you so much for listening today. And what we want you to do as a practical takeaway Boom. is think about when your parents are talking to you, how they <laughs> taught you this, and however great or terrible it is. So terrible. Uh, so terrible. And think about, meditate on this and think about what you want to change about talking to your children. My dad gave me the talk. 
with my older brother. He was really giving it to my older brother and thought two birds, one stone. He was so nervous. <laughs> he he had us sitting in the back seat of the lime green Ford Maverick, and he sat in the front and he looked at us through the rear view mirror and gave us the talk. <laughs> oh, you're poor dad. And I had no idea what he was talking about. I just looked at my brother's face and imitated whatever he. Oh, that's gross. Oh, <laughs> what? Right. I think I was four. I just remember looking at my dad's eyes, and he even then he couldn't hold eye contact with us. <laughs> God bless you guys. 